Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. So this morning we're going to continue where we left off. Shouldn't be a surprise to many of you. Um, it's a real priv- privilege and an honor to s- spend some time with you again and, and share with you my heart. And in essence, I want, to un- I want you to understand that is what I'm bringing here. Is what the, since I've joined the ministry, what the Lord has been doing in my heart and reminding me that it's not about an isolated walk. Um, it's about a community of brethren. And so this morning we're going to continue to discuss community but we're going to follow on where we left off. And I'm going to be discussing what it means to choose community and how we choose community. All right. First of all, the word choice is pivotal to that. Let's define what choice means. Does anybody want to try and define what you understand by what choice is? What is choice? What does it mean to choose? Anyone? Say again. You have options. What do you do with those options? You weigh them up. Someone else said something. You decide, right? So, to choose means to decide on a course of action you will take from the available options presented. Amen. And that's important. There's options available, but what you what you do is to decide which options you will take. Pastor Ken always says, indecision is a choice. It's a choice to do nothing. I'm a very indecisive person, if you know me. I'm very cautious. I, take, I have to do all my research before I commit to buying a product or something. Um, and sometimes that takes very long and frustrates everyone around me. But indecision is a choice because you're deciding not to take the course of action or the options available to you, and in effect, you're doing nothing. And that's important. What choices did each one of you make this morning? To be here. To be here. Amen. That's a really important choice. You're all here this morning, so you chose fellowship with your family, your spiritual brothers and sisters. That was a choice. Like even on Mother's Day. Difficult as it was, I see a lot of mothers are here, but the kids are not here, so maybe they're at home preparing. <laughs> the mothers are hoping. Amen, or they forgot. Um, but yes, being here this morning is a choice, and it's a choice to connect. So let's read Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. I'm going to read from the New Living. Most of the, Siobhan said to me, I always pick the translations that are not traditional, not available. So this morning, we're not going to have a projector. So if you do have your Bibles, read it in your Bibles. Otherwise, just listen, and we can read together. Now, when I think of choice, this is the verse that I always think of. Uh, Moses is on the cusp of the promised land. He's addressing Israel's next generation, the ones who would inherit the promised land, the previous generation that didn't want to inherit by, by their actions and their attitude they neglected God and they ran away from God. So now he presents a new generation with a choice to choose God for themselves. They must exercise their will now and they must choose. And this is what he says to them in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessing and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. Isn't that the verse that everyone thinks of when they think of choice. And for me, it's always weird to think of this as an Old, uh, Old Testament verse because it still applies today. 
Today, every single person on this earth that has ever and will ever and does presently walk this earth gets presented with this choice of life or death. It's a binary choice. A lot of us think it isn't. It's binary. It's either one or the other. It's either life or death. And the good news is they give us the answer. Moses gave us the answer. He implored this next generation, says, choose life. It's highlighted. Ariel, how would you love to get the right answer highlighted in your exam next week? That would be nice, wouldn't it? God highlights the right answer. He says, choose life. You see, we're all still confronted with this choice. So, like I said, you're all here today because you decided to come to church this morning. But you're all Christians today because you made a choice. Amen? I'm speaking to people that have made that choice. And if anyone has yet to make that choice, come speak to us afterwards. But all of us here chose Christ. Isn't that wonderful? We did choose life. We all gathered here today because of the choice that we made, a personal choice, to follow Jesus and to make Him the Lord and Savior of our lives. We have something in common. No, we have someone in common. Isn't that what's wonderful? A Christian walk is not just something that we believe, a mental assent or, or something that we agree. I, I agree Jesus walked this earth and I agree He died for my sins. No, we personally accepted Him and invited Him into our lives as our personal relationship Lord and Savior. It's someone. It's a person. That's who we have in common. Amen? Jesus is the point. If the Bible is a unified story that leads to Christ, we are a unified people that point to Him. Amen? We as a unified people demonstrate His love on this earth like He showed us. And we reflect Christ to the earth. I'm going to be a lot, reading a lot of uh, Paul's words because he always speaks to the church for unity and coming together. We're going to start in Ephesians 2, verse 19 to 22 from the NIV. That's more traditional, Siobhan. <laughs> the NIV. Ephesians 2, verse 19 to 22. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household. Now to pause here, the context Paul is talking to, he's talking about how now Jew and Gentile are alike. They are no longer separate. They are no longer divided. Christ came to save the whole earth. Those in His house, which were Jewish, and those outside His house. He has opened up. His home is now bigger and greater and better for it. So we carry on from verse 20. Built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone in Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you, are, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Such few verses, but so much richness to unpack. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Any architects or aspiring architects, what is a cornerstone? What is the importance of a cornerstone? Sorry? Yeah, that's the, that's a keystone in the arch, but it's the same thing. Cornerstone on a foundation is a stone, is the first stone laid, generally, and it's the most important stone. And sometimes they even inscribe and make it a real prominent fixture. And all the other stones are lined up according to it. It's the plumb line of building. All right, but you see, Jesus is the example. He came and he demonstrated how we should be. But it's wonderful that it's not it's not just one stone. We are all 
all together living stones in this temple. We all together form the temple of God. In verse 21 it says, In Him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. When we did the Ephesians, I don't know if you guys remember last year, we did the study of Ephesians as a church on a Wednesday night and we, we stressed that you see, you can read that verse and you can say, yes, Jesus lives inside of me personally. And you're right, he does. But there's something special when we all come together, we form the greater body of Christ. We all form his living temple and the representation when we come together. It says there, Paul's words said that. We're going to read you a quote from someone called Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Anybody knows who that is? Okay. Well, I discovered, I learned, I learned who he was. I like history, so I did a mini history lesson. Bonhoeffer was a German pastor and theologian during World War II. So just put yourself in that context. We're in World War II and he's German, right? He's presented with Hitler, the Nazis, and the Holocaust. We're talking about mass discrimination and genocide. He vehemently spoke against Hitler and the Nazi movement. Brave man. He was arrested and ultimately executed for his resistance. So this is someone who believed the gospel within his heart, and no matter what persecution would confront him, no, no matter what his fellow brethren would say, he knew what the gospel meant. It was for all men. And he ultimately gave his life for that. So this is the quote, and it should, in that context we should understand the power of this quote. It says, Only in Jesus Christ are we one. Only through him are we bound together. Jesus himself, before he was arrested, he prayed for his disciples. And do you know he prayed for you and me as well in today? John chapter 17, verse 20 to 21 from the New Living Translation. I'm praying not only for these disciples, those in proximity to him, right? That he asked them to go and pray. He says, I'm not only praying for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me. All who will ever believe in me. That's you and me today. And future believers. Through their message, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us that the world would believe you sent me. He says, I pray that they will all be one. Just as the Father and Christ are one. He prays for unity, amen? He prays for a unity bound by himself, by Jesus. You see, that is the, what I'm reading about here is that is the benefits of when we chose Christ. When we chose Christ, we have fellow brothers and sisters and we become part of a greater family. But who knows that some choices are not enough just to make it once. You have to continually to walk in it. You have to continually choose Christ in every day that we, we live on this earth. Amen? Colossians chapter 2 verse 67 tells us this. I'm reading from the New Living Translations. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow Him. Let your roots grow down into Him and let your lives be built on Him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. He says, you must continue to follow Him. When I read that, I, I was immediately reminded of Jesus' words to his disciples when he walked up to them and he said, come follow me. 
And yes, they made a choice, a, a, a quality decision at that point. They knew that this is a, a lifelong journey that they would encounter. Because when a rabbi approaches you and he says, come follow me, it means abandon what you know, put aside what you know and love, and come dedicate your lives to me. It was an impactful choice with, with a lot of consequences, you would agree. And like Jesus came to us, into our lives, and he said, come follow me. We knew at that point, we knew what the right decision was. We knew that we are to choose life. And we knew that when we do this, we would enter into his kingdom. But it's not just enough just to make that one decision. If the disciples just decided then and their heart's attitude and their actions didn't support that, do you think it was them following Jesus? When, you, when someone asks to follow them, you have to keep at it. You have to follow them. You have to, your proximity must be close. Otherwise, you drift away. It takes effort, right? And for me, it spoke volumes about when Jesus said, come follow me, he asked us to continually follow him. Amen? See, we submit ourselves to his journey, his ways, and his life. It's like a continual covenantal life, like marriage. It's an intimate relationship with a person that you continue to submit yourself to and walk in and give to. Amen? For me, I love this verse, and I'm going to use Colossians 2, verse 67 throughout today because I love the double metaphor that Paul uses. It's a double metaphor. The first part is, it says, let your roots grow down into him. And the second part is, let your lives be built on him. So when we say... Let your roots grow down into him. He speaks of organic nature. Amen? He speaks of roots. It's an intimate relationship invested over a long period of time. Roots don't happen overnight. You can't put a tree down and, and water it for a good solid month and then say, well, it should withstand anything. I can put it outside. The winds are going to buffet it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to work. No, it takes a long time for a plant to be embedded and even to root and to grow. You see, that's the power of the metaphor there. It speaks about investing ourselves in God, reaching down into Him as a root does, and as a root does, taking our nourishment from Him and growing bigger and stronger and wider. Amen? See, as we spend time with God, however you are connecting with God, however you connect with God, as you spend time with Him, our roots will strengthen and grow in Him. They become strong and secure, although they are natural, natural and organic. Amen? Have you guys tried to take out... I remember in, in, in high school, they always used to take us to a nature reserve and get us to take the alien vegetation out. Port Jackson's. Does everybody, but anybody try to take a Port Jackson out of the ground? Now, they don't look much from the top. It's like a little green shoot. It's like, I could take this out. And you try. It's very difficult because their roots are stronger than their structure on top. So roots, when they are secure, they grow strong and they hold tight to what is true. And that's the first part of the metaphor that Paul tells us, is that we need to grow in and be rooted in Christ. But I love the second part too. It says, let your lives be built on Him. He speaks on construction now, continuing like Ephesians when he spoke about the cornerstone and us being living stones. Construction requires deliberate action, you would agree. When you decide to build a building, the first thing you do is you design a plan and a blueprint of how we're going to do it. And one thing I know from engineering, 
not really being involved, but in the software side, is if you don't plan, you're not going to succeed. Building is following the steps of, an ex of a plan that's been set before. It needs to take a concerted, deliberate effort and action before we build. We count the cost. Amen? That's why Jesus says, before you accept me, count the cost. What is it going to mean in your life? Because it's going to take effort. It's going to take concerted effort to mold our lives to Christ's teaching. Brick on brick and precept on precept. I just love how he does both. The organic and the natural way of a root growing, but also the concerted and deliberate effort in building and construction. And he ties it together. Both are needed, you see. And this morning I deliberately started with Christ. You're saying, Stephen, we, we're speaking about community. But to choose community, we know we have to choose Christ. Because in Him all things are possible. In Him are all things grounded. When we choose Christ, we are naturally cho choosing His kingdom, which is a community kingdom. Jesus said in verse John, John chapter 15, verse 4, from the Passion Translation. This one, you all know, the vine and the branches. We even referred to it last week. But I'm only going to read verse 4. Because he says here, So you must remain in life union with me. For I remain in life union with you. For as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined to mine. You see, we know that we are saved once we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But that is only the beginning. He asks us to continually remain in a life union with Him. He says you must remain. It's critical. Just like a branch to a vine, if you're not connected, you're dead. Amen? It takes concerted effort to keep that connection going. Would you, all of you agree? Just like it does in, a, in any relationship with our human brethren. It takes an effort. Amen? But also it's natural and it's organic. It's both. That's what I find amazing. So let's discuss then what does it mean to choose community. We've all chosen Christ and we agree it's not a once-off decision. It's a continual decision like we've established. But what does it mean then to choose community? And we agree that Christ is the first step in that choosing of community. Well, let's continue with Paul's double metaphor. Let's continue with the let your roots grow down into him and into each other. I'm going to read you a quote here from Riken. Fellowship with other believers comes from having fellowship with God through Christ Jesus. Let me read that again. Fellowship with other believers comes from having fellowship with God through Christ Jesus. You see, like we discussed last week, as we intimately connect with God relationally, His love flows through our hearts and we decide to connect with each other. That's what happened to me. I'm naturally a very um, introverted person. So I always say it's to my benefit. You know, Jesus will help you turn your weaknesses to your strengths. When you're an introverted person, when the Lord tells you to go speak to someone, you know it's the Lord, not you. <laughs> it's like, really? And, and then you have your internal discussion, and the Lord's like, well, this is what I want you to do. So turn your weakness into a strength. Let me read you again from a book that I quoted a lot last week. And I encourage, it's, okay, it's, it's aimed at ladies. It's called... Uh, it's from Christina Fox. It says, you know, I've got the title of the book now, but it's Closer Than a Sister. That's what it is. It's encouraging. I think 
she approaches women because women are the natural organic branches out. Do you agree? Us men are more isolated pillars. We like to remain stable and strong. We care for our families. Um, but women are the natural socializers. At least, in my opinion, they, they are. No? Okay. Um, women are the natural socializers. So she, she just speaks to a group of women in church specifically because, it, listen, the reason why it's also strong in my heart is this is the battle of this age. Um, managing a group of young people when I was in the workplace, spending a lot of time with young people, the biggest challenge is to get people to connect face-to-face today. Because they are for, let's just think of the young generation. There's so many alternatives for entertainment, for fellowship, for social media. It's a big challenge, and it's important. And our gospel is a community face-to-face gospel. So this is the quote from Christina Fox from that book. Our union with one another in the body of Christ has a high and important goal, love. It's the inevitable result of being in union with our Savior. His love pours into us, and then we extend that love to others. Amen? So if we continue with the metaphor, let our roots grow down into Him and into each other, we know it's organic. It needs to be natural. It cannot be forced or coerced. It's a deep and a strong connection with the Lord and with the community around us. Like we said, it cannot be forced or coerced. But we agree, and like we established with the next metaphor, it needs to take a deliberate action. It needs to take concerted effort. It needs to take us to make a choice and do our part. We agree. So when we say, let your lives be built on Him and be built together, that speaks of that concerted effort. Fellowship and community are not passive. Friendship is not passive. Does it, do you all agree on that point? Amen? It won't just happen. You can't sit back and, Lord, I pray for a friend. Lord, give me a true friend. You love, I used to pray those prayers. Um, it, takes, it takes effort from our, our side. The Bible says you need to sow before you reap. Amen? You need to be the friend towards someone else before they return that favor. Roots are strong and deep, and, and they speak of the relationship. That's why the roots are such a powerful metaphor. It speaks about the nature of the relationship. It needs to be organic. It needs to be natural. It needs to be living. It's, a plant is a living organism. It's not a building. So I love, he uses both. But we need to invest into each other's lives over time, and that's why roots take long. It, it's not something that will just happen overnight. Amen? You can't say, I tried being a friend to someone for a week. It didn't work. Right? It needs to be intentional and consistent is the key in our relationships. You know, we continually share, as Christians, we continually share our mutual love and our, our relationship with Christ with one another. It's, that's what it means to have, be a fellowship, is to live life together. Right? And to share that life together. It means praying for one another. It means serving one another, as we're going to read in the practical steps later on. You know, when we, do, when we have life together, we will naturally draw closer to one another. We will naturally be a strong community. Let me read you a, a, another quote. I'm going to read the quote. I'm going to ask you to guess where it's from. I don't know if anybody will from, remember, but let's try Here's the quote. You can't stay in your corner of the forest waiting for others to come to you. You have to go to them sometimes. Anybody? 
you can't stay in the corner of the forest waiting for others to come to you. You have to go to them sometimes. Yes. Wow. Amen. It's Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the Pooh. Pooh's little instruction booklet. You know, but it's a children's story, and she's encouraging children. A.A. Milne is encouraging children on what it means to have friendship. And I don't know, but this is important for young people to learn, that it's not about you staying where you are, comfortable and secure, but isolated, but you need to reach out. That's answer to prayer. Thank you. So we spoke about what does it mean to choose community. The natural next step is then how. How? What are the practical steps? How do we choose community? I'm going to read you another quote from Christina Fox. It takes hard work and intention to nurture that community. The seeds are there, but we have to water them and to help them grow. Perhaps that is why finding community and friendships through social media is so appealing these days. It takes less work and less effort. I'd like to add to her that it's safer. It takes less vulnerability too. You know, this world, everybody's got an opinion about everything. And it doesn't cost them much to share that opinion. Amen? Unless you're in a prominent position and your opinion should be kept safe, otherwise you're going to lose your prominent position. But today, it doesn't cost much to say something or to interact on social media. It does, it's, it's safer. If I don't invest face-to-face relationships, I won't get hurt. Amen? We tell ourselves that. I've told myself that. But guess what? Jesus invested in face-to-face relationships and he ultimately got the kiss of death. But he still forgave and he still loved and his heart is still open and he still loved them to the end. So why do we then fear connection? It's because we are scared. Amen? So this is how we choose. The, the how we choose is where we start, is the choice. The how is to choose. That is the first and the most difficult step, is to make that first step that I will choose community, I will choose relationships. I will choose to break bed. I will choose to pray for my brethren. I will choose to invest into other people. Listen, will you be blessed with relationship? Yes. Will you be hurt in relationships? Most likely, yes. Just like Jesus himself was hurt. In real life community, we have real life together. We rub against each other. Anyone in a big family knows that or any family? Put two people in close proximity to each other. You're going to rub off against each other. You're going to have cabin fever and you're going to get on each other's nerves. Right? It happens. We're all human. But that's, that's, not, that's not where love ends. That's where love begins. Amen? No one is perfect. But we don't love perfect people. We love people despite their imperfections. When you love somebody, you're making a choice day to day, and it is a choice that you belong with them and that you choose to stay with them. Amen? In all this, the Holy Spirit is critical. I do not want to underplay His part in connecting our relationships together. The Holy Spirit was pivotal in us coming to choose Christ. Amen? You know in that moment you were being encouraged to make the choice to choose life. And that person who was encouraging you was the Holy Spirit. He's a person. So obviously we need to allow Him to speak to us. We need to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit first to give us wisdom and discernment on how we are to reach relationships. There should be the right people and the right steps to approach, right? Don't put yourselves in situations where it's not a good idea. 
the Holy Spirit will lead you and He will care for you in that decision. The Holy Spirit is involved in that double metaphor of roots and building. You can't force relationships with anyone. You can't accelerate it. You can't say, I would love to have a relationship with you. Let's go. Right? No? It takes time. It takes wisdom. But it importantly, like the metaphor, the second part of the metaphor, it does take effort and it does take courage to reach out to make ourselves vulnerable. Both are required. So let's delve into, into Paul's writing in Romans. And we're going to go through step-by-step practical ways, if you will, of how to choose community. How to choose true community. You see, Romans 12, I, I, liked, I took the section that we're going to read today and I, I saw it as a manifesto on how to have community. But it's important how he starts Romans and how Paul generally starts all his letters. And you can see this is a man who lives it, who loves it, who is community. He always starts every one of his letters with a prayer. And not just a prayer once off. He says, I've been continually been praying for you, this church. No matter what they've been through, if they've been succeeding at life, he continues to pray for them and bless them and say, Lord, give them more success. If they're struggling and undivided, he still prays for them. It's a man whose heart is to the people. And they know that. And they feel that. Amen? So let's read Romans 1 verse 9 and and this is proof that this is what I'm talking about. And God knows that I pray for you continually at all times. For I passionately serve and worship Him with my spirit in the gospel of His Son. This is something I'm still learning. But prayer is vitally important for not just for your walk, but for community walk. Prayer is vitally important to have a connected life with each other. We need to remember to lift each other up in prayer. Like we prayed for Pastor Michael today. It's important. It makes a difference. If we believe in the power of prayer, then we would use it and we would pray for each other. Amen? More often. It's a demonstration of love and lifting each other, lifting each other up to the Lord and saying, Lord, let your will be done in their lives. Amen? It shows that we care for them. Do you agree? Prayer is vitally important in community life. And family life. So we're going to now continue and we're going to study chapter 12 and we're going to take you step by step, like we said, like a manifesto, if you will, of how we can choose community. First, so the first one we said is pray for each other. The second one is exhibit real love. Romans 12 verse 9 to 10. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection, take delight in honoring each other. Paul illustrates here in this verses what real authentic love looks like. Agape love. Before Jesus told his disciples to love one another as he loved them, what did he do first? Before those words came out of his mouth, he did a demonstration of love. What was that? He washed their feet, right? It was a demonstration of tangible, real love. But note, throughout his life and time with them, he, dem- he continually demonstrated what real love looks like. But this washing of the feet was an, an accentuation of that love. He wanted them to go away, not just with a command, love one another as I have loved you, but an image of what that command plays out and how it plays out. And you know what? It's like a metaphor, isn't it? Washing each other's feet. Because it speaks about who did Jesus wash 
he watched the disciples' feet, but who were they going to be to him in a few moments? They were going to—they were going to abandon him. They were going to betray him, and they were going to deny him. Their feet were literally and metaphorically dirty. They were not perfect people. Amen. They were imperfect, but still, knowing knowing all this, he dis- he chooses to become a servant and wash their dirty feet. And that, for me, is, is such a powerful metaphor for not what he did on the cross, but what we as disciples should do for others. Let's read in John 13 quickly from the Passion Translation. Jesus knew that the night before Passover would be his last night on earth before leaving this world to return to the Father's side. All throughout his time with his disciples, and this is the key, Jesus had demonstrated a deep and tender love for them, and now he longed to show them the full measure of his love. Wow. That's so powerful. Is that in living this earth, he demonstrated the deep and tender loving a love for them. But now, even before the cross, he longed to show them the full measure of his love. You see, the washing of the feet is so powerful because it precurses what he was going to do on the cross. It's going to take our dirt, our imperfections, our humanity. He's going to wipe it clean on the cross and He's going to bring us into relationship with Him. Amen? So powerful. This is agape love. This is what it means to love one another as I, as Jesus. That's, that's what it means to love one another. Washing and serving each other despite how dirty we may be. And that's why it's so important to be real. You know, don't, don't hide your dirt. That's who you are. But you love one another in that. You forgive one another and you love each other. To be real. And like we read with the washing of the feet, the next one is to serve God by serving each other. See, love is a doing word, just like faith. They are action words. They require action. The world has forgotten that. They define love by a feeling that you receive passively. Right? But no, true love is selfless. It requires action. It's not selfish. It must always cost us something. Do you agree with that statement? Do you agree that love must always cost? But guess what? Guess what's amazing? When you truly love someone, you celebrate that cost. When you bought your Mother's Day presents today, or earlier this week hopefully, it must have been a joy, wasn't it? To buy something for your mom. You didn't fixate on how much it cost you. You were focused on your love for your mother and how you can, in a small way, demonstrate that. Right? We celebrate a cost when we truly love someone. It's the ultimate pleasure to sacrifice. And that's what Jesus did for us. This is why serving each other is so important. It's actions of love. Romans 12, verse 11 to 13. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Amen? Never be lazy. Work hard. And that means serving one another. Listen, when it comes to hospitality, I have very good examples in my life of what it means to be hospitable. But I find it very uncomfortable when I have to invite people over to my home. Not because, not because I'm... Because I'm an introvert, so I'm always fixated on what's not done well, or what's not perfect in the home before I invite people. So it takes a lot of effort for me to do it. But the Lord said, just start. 
And I found it, it gets easier. You know, being hospitable is just being open. It just means being open to welcoming others. And it, that takes that choice, like we said. What else is important? I'm going to skip verse 14. I'm going to read verse 15, Romans 12, verse 15. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Now, it's such an impactful statement that because it doesn't just mean say the immediate emotions of the person next to you, but it, it speaks of sharing in each other's life moments. It's those happiness moments and those sad moments speak about life events. When someone's happy, they're celebrating for some reason. They either have passed school, they've finished their university studies, they've married the person of their dreams, they've had children. Think of those kind of moments. Being sad is when you've lost a member of your family or you've suffered loss. So when Paul says, be happy with those who are happy, he's talking about being involved in their lives, sharing in their joys and their celebrations. When he's speaking about weeping with those who weep, he's talking about be there in their difficult times when they are suffering, when they are struggling. See, that is what selfless love is. It shares each other's victories and struggles. When one member of the body hurts, we all hurt. Amen? Another letter Paul sent to his church said that. We all hurt when, when someone else in our body hurts. That's what it means to be in community. And that's what it means to be sharing in each other's life moments. Let's go to verse 16, Romans 12, verse 16. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Don't think you know it all. In another letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinthians, when they weren't taking the Lord's Supper in the right manner, but they were doing the exact thing that he told them not to be doing. He said they were being proud and they didn't want to, they didn't want to be together with, they started judging people and building walls on people and some used to eat, it, eat in front of and have a big display of their wealth when taking the Lord's communion and they would leave other people out. <laughs> Can you imagine? The Lord's Supper, the communion table, which speaks of community. You see, Paul tells us to live in harmony with each other. Don't give in to pride, the root of all sin, right? Don't think you are better than yourself and don't think you are better than others. Selfishness is pride. Selflessness is peace. Jesus had many relationships and fellowships with people that even his disciples thought they were, they were higher than. Don't you think so? A Samaritan woman. Not only was she Samaritan, which was in those days, the Jews and the Samaritans could not tolerate each other. The Jews thought they were higher and more important than the Samaritan people. But she was also a woman. In the culture of that time, to speak to a woman, never mind a Samaritan woman, was frowned upon. Tax collectors. Now, they're not just like SARS today, right? None of us like talking to SARS. But those tax collectors were known. They stole money. It was known. They were corrupt. It was like knowing that they were a corrupt SARS, right? And he went and he sat and had a meal with a corrupt tax collector. Lepers. Man, this is where I would struggle. <laughs> when someone has visibly got something that you may... Be you fearing that you may catch? Jesus spoke to lepers. He touched lepers and he healed lepers. Prostitutes, we can go on. Jesus spent his time not being discriminative, but instead being the complete opposite. Loving every single human being because every single human being was created in his image. Amen? We are all created equal. 
So that's why Paul tells us to be peaceful and not proud, not prideful. Don't be proud, be peaceful. The next one we're going to read is to repay evil with good. Romans 12 verse 14, the one that we skipped earlier. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. You see, what does victory look like in the new kingdom? Does anybody want to try? What is the symbol of our victory? The cross. But the cross to the natural man speaks of what? Death. See how Jesus turned it around. Death in humans' eyes and humanity's eyes is victory in his. He's turned the method of warfare upside down. Right? He's, he's given us a way of how we win this world, world's war. And that's by dying to them. Right? The cross is our symbol of victory. Let's read again Romans 12, verse 17 to 21, because he goes on on this. Obviously, this was very important because he's dedicated a lot of verses to it. Not only for us today, but in the context of that time, the church was being persecuted. They were being, their lives were being threatened by the message that they believed in. And if Paul says it to them, what we're about to read, how much more is it applicable to us today? Verse 17, Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Man, let me read that again. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. How the world needs to hear that today. Are we as believers taking every step necessary to live at peace with every single human being, not just our fellow brothers and sisters? It's hard, isn't it? But this is what the world needs. When the world speaks of divisions and speaks of separation and speaks of discrimination, we as believers should love all people just as Christ did. So we need to do all that we can to live at peace within this body and outside of this body. No discrimination. Verse 19, dear friends, take, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Wow. These verses are so impactful, but are also so difficult to follow through. Because not only are we supposed to love our enemies with an emotion, but with, like I said, love is action. If you truly pray for your enemies and love them, you have to feed them when they're hungry. You have to give them something to drink when they're thirsty. That's what it means to be victorious in Christ. It's to live like he did and to, to even to die like he did. It's hard for us to comprehend, but this is what we as believers are called to do. You see, we can sum up that whole manifesto in one phrase. Paul is telling us to be more like Christ. Do you all agree? He's breaking down and he's illustrating what Christ's nature was like and is like. So we can replicate him. So we can take the aspects of Christ's nature and apply it to our lives. Listen, it's going to take time and investment. It's not going to be something we can just live automatically. As we grow in our roots in Christ, we will become more like Christ. That's why, again, I'm going to refer to our heart statement. is to become more like Christ. Sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. It's not our love. It's not a human love that we can demonstrate 
accurately on our own. It's His love, so we need to partake of Him and live a life like He did that we can demonstrate His love. Amen? You see, when we get together, we learn and encourage each other to become more like Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. And I think this is what the Western world has forgotten. It's in the community that when we come together, we encourage each other and we remind each other what it means to be more like Christ. See, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here in our hearts and in the gathering of us. But this is where it begins and we need to grow it outwards, wherever we go. How will people know that we are His disciples? That when we have love for one another. I think this is where the church today is struggling the most. Because the church is the first one to, to throw red flags. You know, right? Uh, we in the church, we need to love not only each other, but the world around us. That's what leads to salvation, is when we love people like Christ. Did. And when, we, when they see that and they feel that. And it has direct representation on their lives. This is how we choose community. Choosing to love one another as Christ has loved us. So in closing, like I said, it takes a deliberate attempt. It takes concrete action. The Hebrew, the Hebrew language and the Hebrew faith is concrete. What do I mean by that? There always had to be something substance or something of substance to demonstrate even a word what it means. So faith for them, emunah, is substance. It needs to look like something. It needs to be demonstrated. This is why in our Western world where everything is Greek thinking, is abstract, love is abstract, faith is abstract, it's not correct according to the Bible and it was written in Hebrew. It needs to look like something. Faith without works is dead. Love without works is dead. We live a concrete faith. We live a concrete love. And that's Christ. Amen? So I'm, I'm going to give you an invitation this morning. As we close the service, I'm going to invite you all. On Friday the 24th of May, from 5 o'clock, we are going to be blessing those less fortunate than ourselves in Pinelands. Craig, Siobhan, and myself, we go once a month on Friday, and we, we use the word evangelize, but all we do is we just try and pour out the love of Christ onto others, less, and mostly less fortunate than ourselves, because they are the ones that are most open to that. They're not on some journey that they don't want to be disturbed or disrupted. But my heart has really been, been pricked by people that are, that are down and out, which is all around us in this country. They are the ones that know that they are, they are loved by Christ and they need Christ. And they don't have any selfishness guarding it. So on the 24th of May, at 5 o'clock, it's a Friday, we, we get together in, in the central square in Pinelands. It's where the spa is, if you don't know where it is. The steers, the spa. And we're going to get together in the park, and we're just going to just minister to people by giving them soup and rolls. Um, if any of you want to join, and this is an invitation, let's, let's together as a family come together and let's minister just soup and rolls to people and just give them the love of God. Feed them just like Christ fed many. So if you, if you want to prepare soup, then talk to Craig, Siobhan, or myself. If you want to bring rolls, let's do that. But I'm, I don't want to organize it too much. It's, it's merely just an invitation. Come, let's pour out. So Friday the 24th of May, 5 o'clock, we'll be there. And we would love for you to be alongside of us pouring soup. And you know what? When we do that for other people, we will in, connect together better. We will get to see each other in an, in an environment that is different. 
than this building, we would be blessing other people, and that's good. Amen? So let's spend time together in blessing others. I believe God will minister to us as a community as well. Should we close the service in prayer? Let's do that. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us a faith that's a community faith, Lord, that you chose 12 men, Lord, to demonstrate a love and to grow that the group of men outwards, Lord, to incorporate the whole world of what it means to be Christians, Lord, ones that live like Christ, Lord. So we thank you, Lord, that although you were God, you came down to become flesh, Lord, that you could spend time with us, Lord, spend time what it looks like to live like you desired us and designed us to live from the very beginning, that to love every single person that we come in contact with, Lord, to share your gospel, Lord, with them, Lord, and to live, live a life that looks like you, Lord. So, Lord, we pray, Lord, we pray that you help us in this journey, Lord. You help us in this journey to become more like Christ in our individual lives and also as a community, Lord, as Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship, Lord. We are a fellowship of your believers, Lord, and we desire to touch this world by sharing your love, Lord. So we thank you for, we thank you for this time together. We thank you, Lord, for, for a mind of, of that our faith is a community faith, Lord, and we just pray, Lord, that we may do our, make a concerted effort, Lord, and take action and steps that are needed to join and to connect with one another, Lord. We thank you for Michael and Dad and Helen and Mom, Lord, in this time. And we just pray for them wherever they are ministering, Lord, that, we just, that you just bless their hearts, Lord, and that you bless the people with their messages, Lord. So we thank you for this time together, Lord, in your Son's name. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, Come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.